Great, thank you for uh, having me. The, I was chatting with the LCC before um, this happened, and they said, oh, Michael, would you ever figure that you'd be back here speaking to chapel? And I was like, no, I would never have thought that. Um, but God has put me on a path uh, in ministry that uh, I'm excited to be on. And um, when they, Megan reached out to me to speak at chapel, I jumped at the chance. So thank you for having me this morning. Um, and so I'm continuing on with your series of Reframe, um, which is a great name for your series uh, in the sense that I think so often that when we look into the Bible and we look into what our faith should look like in Scripture, that we do have to reframe our biases and how we think. Um, that often, especially in the ministry of Jesus, when you look at him and all the people that he interacted with, that they often want in with their own framework of, oh, this is how it, uh, it means to be a righteous person, and this is how it means to be a good person. And Jesus would often say, no, no, it needs to be much bigger, broader. You need a wider lens. And so reframing our uh, faith and how we live out our lives is something we need to do often. And so this morning, I'm going to lead us through a passage of Scripture that talks about reframing how we view our lives. Um, the thing, it's a specific passage in the sense of um, we're be going to be looking at the book of James, and it's, he's writing to a very specific context in that time. And so I love to know about context. That's one of my, uh, the most fun parts I have about studying scripture is like learning exactly when it happens in history. And instead of like trying to place myself in it, of what can I learn from that story then and bring it into the now? What can we see now, 2,000 years ago, from Jesus' ministry in the early church? And what can we put in place into our lives? And so we're going to be looking into the book of James, which is a letter that was written early in history of the church. James is the author of this letter, and is the brother of Jesus, in the sense of he's not like a divine brother, he's not like God's spiritual sibling that we've not heard about, but he's the son of Joseph and Mary. And so he was not a believer in Jesus when Jesus was in ministry, but when Jesus was resurrected, and when he showed up in his new heavenly body, James became a believer, and he became the leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem. And so this letter, is he's writing a letter to Jewish people that have moved outside of uh, what we would call modern-day Palestine, like the geographical area. And so um, we're looking at, he's uh, having this letter that he's writing out to these believers, and he's having, in the specific section, a criticism of wealthy people and how they've been using their power and authority to put people down. And so the next section that we're not going to look at, but has a big criticism of these wealthy people, but he just starts to get into that. And so, unless any of you are very wealthy oppressors, you are not the primary audience of this letter. But there's still truth to God's word, that we believe that the Holy Spirit is active in this. And so we can take a lesson from it. So, uh, let's dive in to it. And Luke, can you go to the slide with the verse of James 4, 13 to 17? Great. So the section says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So it's a really interesting passage because it seems at the beginning of it like they're having a basic uh, plan that's okay. That these people are making a plan to 
go into a town, they'll make a profit, and such. But James is getting to the heart of these people, and the whole subsection of this book is called Boasting About Tomorrow, uh, which translators have called it. And it's a great summary of what James is um, kind of get at their heart with in saying, you guys are making these plans that it's great to have a business plan, like look for profit and stuff, but you're doing so in a boastful way. Um, when we see that in verse 16, it says, as it is, you are acting now, you boast in your arrogance. And so he's not, what uh, James is trying to call out here is not the action of what they're doing um, in the sense of like, what their plans are, but the heart behind their plan. And so another thing I love to do uh, when studying scripture is go to the original language. So uh, I believe I have a slide here with some Greek, intermediary Greek lesson for you all. We all have Greek class this morning. The first word is the most fun. It's pronounced kalchaumai. And I want all of us to say that together. So say cow like a moo. Cow. Chau. Chau. My. Kalchaumai. Great. It's a fun word, and it means to boast in the sense of you're puffing yourself up, you are, uh, you're, you're exaggerating who you are. And so the, the sentence that I'm talking about is, you boast in your arrogance. So it says to kahaumai uh, in your alozenea. Say that. Less fun, but still cool. Alozenea. And so what it means is, Alizanea is for boastfulness. So he's saying you boast in your boastfulness. So they're getting a double dose of this boasting, which also means arrogance, which is a word that we can understand here. We've moved on from the Greek. And so arrogance is having an exaggerated sense of one's own importance or abilities. So in the sense of you, you have abilities and you have qualities about yourself, but you're making them more than they should be, that you don't have merit to that. And so we see is they're not making plans to make profit, Again, and that's not a wrong thing to do. But they're doing so arrogantly in a way that they're puffing themselves up. They're really promote, these people are promoting and boasting in, yes, we're going to do these excellent things um, that we plan for, and it's going to go perfectly according to plan, um, and all of these things will be right for us. And so James tackles that with a statement of, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Who here can tell me, on your own, you know assuredly, 100% guarantee, something that will happen tomorrow that's within your control? This is a Q&A portion. What's something you think that you can guarantee in your own life, that's done in your own strength, that you can make happen tomorrow? Anyone? Griffin. Oh, wake up. You think... 100% 100% guarantee that you can let yourself wake up. Like 99.99. 99.99, interesting. I just thought of that uh, when I was writing this. Does anyone know, uh, it's like a classic prayer that I knew when I was sleeping. It's like, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And it's like, and if I die before I wake. And I forget the la- last line. Does anyone know the last line? Thank you. Great. So, which is really like somber. It's like, oh, well, if I die in my sleep, then... And God hopefully takes me, which I agree. That's good. Um, but so, Griffin, if you do not wake up tomorrow, what will you give me? <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens. I'll come to collect from Hudson. <laughs> yeah, so the point is in the sense of this statement, you do not know what tomorrow will bring, is leveling it for all of us. 
we all have this sort of control over our lives, of course, that we all expect to wake up tomorrow, that we think that it's happened every day so far, so of course we can expect it, and we try to expect it to happen. But in the, in the reality, we can't expect that to happen, and we shouldn't pretend to, because although we'd, uh, although we'd love to think otherwise, we don't have control over every aspect of our life. There's things that are outside of our life that if we had the choice and if it would happen or not, we of course would pick no, but day by day we're proven that we are only human. We have limitations to that. And so Jesus has a parable as well um, that he told in his ministry that shares the same, uh, same kind of sentiment. Uh, so look, could you change the next one? Great. And so this is from uh, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 12. And he told this parable, the ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. And so in this story, we see this um, crafted uh, tale of a man who's he's living out his life. He's looking at his business, as similar in the passage in James, or his, his field. He says, oh, I have so much for myself. This is great. I can build it up. I can stock it up, and it will benefit me. I, can, um, I will have plenty of grain laid up for many years. I can take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And then God kind of has that reality check, and he says, you're going to die tonight. And so what you did wasn't wrong, but is it really foolish? It is foolish to think of um, that if you were to die tonight, you wouldn't be setting up for that future that you had. And so in that sense of the, we always act in a way that we kind of plan for tomorrow as best we can, and these people are doing so arrogantly in the sense of being very f- self-focused. In the sense of this man, arrogance is really isn't ascribed to him in this passage, but it's the foolishness of pre- um, prepping this for all of his life, but he will get none of it. It says he, d- he builds it for himself, but he will not get it. And these uh, rich people in James, in the sense of they're, they're boasting in it, they, they think it's attributed to themselves, and God says, you don't even know this will happen. How do you think this is within your control? And that's because life is messy and out of our control, as I said. I'm sure everyone in this room has had lots of things happen in your life that you would never have wished have happened. That if you knew they were to happen the day before, you would not choose so. And it's something we forget that we don't have control over these things often. Because, of course, in life we love to remember what we can do. That we love to remember our, uh, our accomplishments and ways that we can prepare for these things. But it's kind of scary Um, to think of the ways that we're outside of our control and that there's a self-confidence that we have uh, as we live in ourselves that we will let ourselves down at some point and that's not like a you personally will let yourself down because you are insufficient to yourself but it's because everyone's insufficient in the sense of we are only human. We cannot take on this tackle of life and be in complete control. And we love control. I love, do you know... um, uh, like smart devices where it's like home automation and you can like set commands so like it's like hey Siri 
I'm leaving the house and I'll like turn down the lights and I'll, you can get all these smart devices that'll like turn on your water cooler and do all these things. I love that kind of stuff. I think it's really cool. I'm too poor to get into it. Um, but I've, it's a, something I've spent my past on like, oh, that would be so cool because you control every single aspect of your home so it fits yourself. And I think that's our desire to control as much of our lives because we love to trust ourselves. We love to put our confidence in ourselves because of our own lives. We want to put our trust and who we think is Tom. But the Lord's will is different. That God says, and he points out that reality of that we are only human, but he has a better plan. And so James offers them a new of replace their boasting. What's great about this passage is it doesn't, it's not a big Debbie Downer in the sense of it leaves you like, oh, well, you, why would you plan for the future? You can't control it. Dumb, wrong. You should just stay like that. That James brings in the a replacement way of thinking that's radically different, that reframes how you look at your life, that's really important. So James says to these wealthy individuals to change how they speak of their plans, to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Uh, Which I believe is verse 16. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So the difference here, seemingly, is only four words, which is easy, great. Now, if you just tack on those four words, you can do anything. If the Lord wills, I can eat three pizzas for breakfast and not get fat. Um, Or I can do all of the work that I intended to do over a week in one day. Or whatever it may be that if you just tack on these words, that's the lesson of James. Easy peasy, you can go home. Wrong, fake out. (laughs) Um, What's different here is it sounds easy enough by tacking those things on, but it actually changes uh, the posture in which you approach life. And so what's being represented here by saying these four words in this example, that everything hangs off that if at the beginning. And that if really means that if the Lord wills, I will do that. And if the Lord's will is not that, then I won't do that. So now instead of you being confident in your own actions, and as James says, the arrogancy and boasting about things in the future that you cannot have out of your control, that God's will and plan is being put forth. And so you can still do those things, that you can still act upon them, you can still make plans, as it says um, these people should do. But the posture that is going after is we should be as Christians for sure, looking for what God's will is, looking for what his plans and purposes are in our own lives and outside of our lives so that we can adjust our behavior to him. Because that's the whole point of what Jesus came to do is that it's not on our strength that we can be in relationship with God. It's not on our work that we can account on because we would fall short. But we can look to Jesus and we can see that his work is complete and that we can trust in that and know that what he's done can assure us of that. So instead of placing our confidence on us and ourself, we can put our trust in Jesus. And so God can and will deliver us as believers, and the more you get to know him, if you know and follow Jesus, your actions should reflect what you think his will is. So those four words, if the Lord wills, reframes the whole way in which you live your life. You're no, there's no longer a chance of trying to puff yourself up, of being arrogant and boastful as he's accusing these people are, because those four words come first, that your, your 
basing your decisions off of, what do I think God has in store for this? And this, this can seem dramatic, what I'm saying right now, and so the idea is not like, oh, now if I'm picking a blue shirt or a red shirt, should I be saying, if the Lord wills I wear a red shirt today, then the Lord's will it shall be. And you're putting this in every single decision that you make. But the general scope of it is, when you're making your plans and decisions, when you're living out your life, are you thinking about God in that? Are you thinking about what his plan is for you in your life? how you fit into the good word and um, the kingdom of God that he's prepared now? Or are you at risk of being like these people, of forgetting um, and not remembering that we are only human? You do not know what tomorrow could bring, and that's outside of your control, and therefore you're acting in arrogance, as he says, which is an evil thing. It's a misguided thing. And so we can do it sometimes on purpose, and we can do it sometimes by accident, but it's important to know. And so we have this reframing opportunity. As I said earlier, it says we do not know what tomorrow will bring, and that's true. But luckily, we can put our trust in Jesus, who does know what tomorrow brings. And so that's not a power we have grasp of, like, well, I know Jesus. And so he says, tomorrow, this thing will happen, and because I know him, that I can know that. And that's not something to plug into our lives, but something to envision and see at the end of times, in the sense of what I mean, what Jesus knows what a tomorrow will bring, is that God has a plan for everything. That it says in the New Testament that Jesus came to fulfill um, the law, that we can be reconciled to God, that he has a plan of new heaven and new earth, of judgment, of every wicked thing being punished, of every good thing being blessed that there will be no more crying, there will be no more tears, that every wrong thing will be, have made right and will be worth it. And we can't guarantee that, but Jesus did, and we can trust in that. So that's the good news in this, in the sense of the reality check of this verse is, we don't know what tomorrow brings, but God does, and Jesus does, and he wants you to learn from him in that that he's revealed himself through scripture, that he's revealed himself um, by his Holy Spirit, that there's an attainable God who loves you so much that you can get to know him and spend time with him so that you know the Lord, Lord's will more. That a lot of time we think of like the Lord's will as ultimately, and I agree, as something you can't know, of course. It's God's plans and purposes. We don't know the details of every single thing but you can know it more, and he does reveal that to us. So what I want us to take away from this passage that talks about, it offers us a choice. Either you can uh, live life in your self-confidence, that you can, if you really want to, God gives us that choice, that you can be confident only in yourself, that, and you can see what tomorrow will bring. So you can see if you're ready. You can see if you are ready to boast in that, or you can place your confidence in Jesus, who I know personally, and I assure you he is good. He has done great things that I or you could not attain, that he's the perfect king and Lord for us. And so what we can take away and apply to our lives this week is, how are you spending time with Jesus? How can you get to know him and his will for the world so that more often you are thinking consciously, if the Lord wills, how will I react? 
How can I be making sure and do that reality check with myself? What is God's will? How, what is the good news of Jesus' work today that I can live in? And how will that influence my decisions? And so there's still that action. There's still those plans and works that you can do. But how are you putting God at the forefront? And so there's ways that you can get to know Jesus. There's ways of prayer and scripture, of worship, of being here in chapel. I'm so glad to see you all this morning. Um, of talking with the people in the SLC, of people at your home churches, uh, or your friends and family, that uh, God says when people gather in his name, he is there and with you, and you can spend time and learn from him. And so that, what I think is what this passage is getting after, is don't place your confidence in yourself. And that's a tricky thing to do, and people spend their whole life trying to work away from their pride and their trust in themselves, and more so in Jesus. And if you're not a believer yet in Christ, I don't know all of you here, so I don't know where you're at, I'd say consider what that assurance would mean for your life. Think about every uh, episode that you've had, every time that you've had where you feel that weight of the world. I'm sure you've had multiple moments already in your life where you, can, you feel the weight of everything on your decisions. It's crushing sometimes. And it can be over the littlest of things because this world is overwhelming. Think about those times and think about what would it look like if there was a perfect God you could trust in. If there was someone who named Jesus, you could fully rest on his work so that your decision, of course, is still there to be made, but you know it's not made on yourself. You don't have to make that uh, decision with the burden all resting on your shoulders, but you could trust in the work of Jesus. And so I would just ask you to consider that uh, for your life, because I think that's a great offer. I think that's something worth investigating, uh, of alleviating yourself of that. And so that's what I have prepared this morning. So I'd love to pray uh, to just finish uh, my time, and then I'll pass it back to Megan. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for uniting these people this morning, um, that you, even among this regular mundane day that you have a plan that's going forth. I pray and I thank you for uh, the book of James that's found in the Bible, God, that we're able to learn from these people who lived 2,000 years ago. Um, I pray, God, that we take this to heart, that we realize that um, we can be known to boost ourselves up in pride, we're to exaggerate what we think we know, that as these people 2,000 years ago, we can boast about things that we actually have no control over. And we have to have that reality check. And not to bring us down, Lord, but you want to build us up. You want to take down those walls that we've built up, and you want to build them up with your work. And so I pray we take that to heart this morning. I pray we realize we have that offer to understand and know you. And I pray that we, this week and going forward, God, we do ask more so off in our lives. Is this the Lord's will? If it is, how can I pursue it as much as I can? If it is not, how can I adjust my life so that I can be walking in faith with you, God? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.